the whole bait the, did the whole room downstairs. So everything's open up. <clears throat> Hopefully, it'll get a little better. We have the call to worship. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Let's bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us stand and sing hymn 171, 171. God Almighty, face to face, 
Christ Jesus. We long for the return of your Son. We pray, God, as we are here waiting and doing your bidding in this life, Lord, that we would not be discouraged, but rather encouraged as we are called this evening, God, uh, to be encouraged by your presence and the worship of your name, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 127a.
You indeed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are our fortress and defense, God, our strong tower in a time of need, especially, Lord, for the saving of our souls. And we ask in particular this evening, God Almighty, we pray, Lord, for continued peace and for prosperity and security in our nation, in our neighborhood, Lord, and in our communities, God, in our cities, that these things would be maintained, Lord, certainly because of our love of our neighbor, uh, but also, Lord, especially for the love of the Church of Jesus Christ, that we can continue on in our callings and vocations in life as mothers and fathers, as uh, workers and employers, Lord, as bosses, as citizens, as students, in whatever case and place we find ourselves, God, to be able to do our duty before you and to one another, God, to uh, build up the kingdom of God and to love one another. And so, Lord, we pray for continued such peace, prosperity, and security, Lord, uh, exercised by our leaders, even those who are not believers, God, that uh, know what is written on their hearts, God, and intuitively that they want to maintain such things for the good of uh, those underneath them. We pray that be the case, God, we ask for your continued mercies in that regards in your providence and through your spirit, we pray. We also pray, Lord, for our church, uh, for the young and old alike, for the rich and poor, and all other uh, types and divisions that we have in society uh, that have uh, meaningful distinctions at times, certainly, God, for it makes a difference if we are rich and we are poor and what we can do in society and how we can even help in the church at times, Lord. And yet in the kingdom of God, we know that we are all equal before you in need of a Savior and all sinners. And also, Lord, through the redemption of Christ, we are also all equally saved. The rich are not more saved than the poor because they are rich, and uh, the young and the old, uh, the young and the youth are not more saved because they are young and full of energy and supposed potential than the old God, but you save and protect and justify, sanctify, and glorify, Lord, all those whom you've called from eternity past, young and old, rich and poor, and black and white. And so, Lord, we ask, God, that we would show the world what this means, the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus, and how uh, we can uh, love one another, that the youth would use their energy and creativity to help uh, the aged and help the church, God, and to be useful members of the kingdom of God, and for the aged, Lord, to use their wisdom and experience to help the youth and redirect them towards uh, greater things than they ever had done in their youth, Lord, and a particular, Lord, for our children to grow up and to be more godly than we have ever been. We also pray for the rich and poor, God, that we who have money, even if we don't feel rich, uh, there are people typically more poor than us, even as though there are people who are more rich than us, and to the extent that we have monies that we can have and time and resources to help, may we continue to help those in financial and material need and otherwise. Lord, in our bodies and in our churches, not just here at Providence, but also the regional church of our presbytery, our denomination, of course, sister churches and denominations that we have done for uh, thousands of years, Lord, uh, to take care of one another, to help the poor and the needy and those infirmed and uh, those, Lord, in our midst who need help of one degree or another. May we continue to do thus, Lord, and to draw nigh unto you and to one another, Lord, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, and not to look down upon one another. We lift up our health considerations as well, Lord, for our bodies, and we're thankful, God, and grateful for the access we have in this country uh, to medical care and even alternative, alternative medical care, God, and how we can do our own research sometimes and, and tailor uh, our diets and our exercise to ourselves, Lord. Help us to that extent to be able to do this so we can take care of the body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
and Lord, and that we would continue to pray for one another and help and exhort and to bear one another's burdens, Lord, for those who have chronic ailments and sicknesses that they struggle with, God. Uh, we think of old age especially, Lord, that comes upon us, a little here, a little there, and it becomes very difficult. And so we may we not, those who have these difficulties, become discouraged and overwrought and overcome, uh, but rather, Lord, to always put their trust in you and to persevere and to accept what they cannot change, we pray. And we ask continually for your spirit to be among us, that we would grow in love and obedience, as we heard about this morning in the call of being holy and separate, morally especially, Lord, from the wickedness that is around us and the wickedness that at times we are tempted within our own hearts, God, and that we would continue to uh, foster uh, the call of agape love for one another, the love of God and the love of the saints, Lord, and to take care of one another as best we can and to encourage one another and to do our callings and duties in the church especially, Lord, and that we can, as the Church of Providence and elsewhere, Lord, God Almighty, uh, be a light in a dark world and, Lord, continue to follow your ways in spite of what the world may do and uh, laugh or mock at us, we pray. So this evening, God, as we come to your word, go over Proverbs and the call we uh, all have to work and to labor uh, unto your glorious namesake, we pray, that we will be encouraged therein. For your namesake, for your kingdom's glory, we pray. Amen. We now have the tithes and offerings. rise. Is God from whom all blessings flow? Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. We praise your name, Almighty God above, and thankful again for the opportunity to give these tithes and offerings, and that we would, we ask, be able to continue to work and to labor for your kingdom's sake, so that we can put aside uh, extra monies and abilities, Lord, for the work of your kingdom, God. In your name we pray for your glorious sake. Amen. Is that better? The higher? I'm tapping. We get it higher. Higher, higher, higher. Really? I didn't touch it from this morning, and it wasn't, I don't, believe, I don't believe it was this high this morning. Oh, well. Okay. Let us turn to Proverbs twelve eleven. Proverbs twelve eleven. There in the Old Testament after Psalms, one of the larger books in the Old Testament. 
Proverbs is a collection of just that, Proverbs, proverbial sayings, short sayings, um, concrete sayings, um, shocking sayings to put the moral truths into our minds so that we cannot forget them, like the old, well, it's an, maybe it's an old saying, maybe they don't say it anymore, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Proverbs 12.11, let us listen attentively to the word of God. He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread. But he who follows trivility is devoid of understanding. Frivility, excuse me, is devoid of understanding. Let us pray. This proverb, God, as you've given in your word, uh, says in short order that we are called to work and to avoid vanity and laziness, as that word is there, frivility. That we, Lord, would continue to carry on in spite of what perhaps our neighbors call us to, or perhaps our predisposition are in some areas of our life to do less than what we could. So, Lord, may we be encouraged in this sermon, uh, convicted if need be God, but certainly not brought to despair, because your Spirit is with us, that we are called to flee laziness by working in and for God's kingdom. Amen. Laziness is a subtle problem, I think, that seeps into us when we least expect it. Perhaps this is an autobiography. It was obviously a problem in the Old Testament. There are many proverbs talking about laziness, or the favorite word there is sloth or slothfulness. And it's a temptation today in various degrees. But what is the best way to overcome a lackadaisical practices? To warn of laziness and to praise hard work is one of the easiest ways. To warn against laziness. We see that in the Proverbs. And to praise, in fact, like we see here, he who tills the land, it's a good thing, obviously, because he'll be satisfied with his bread. We find both of these types of exhortations or declamations as well in the Proverbs. And so I'll cover both themes here, these two points, always an eye upon the broader moral context of living in this world under the grace and calling of the Holy Spirit. The calling of what? Holiness, as we read in Leviticus this morning, Leviticus chapter 19 and chapter 20. Be ye holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And this is part of the call of holiness, working and being industrious in God's kingdom. And so let us look more carefully at the text here. What we are called in the first point, of course, is I'm going to invert it here from this particular text so I end up on a more positive note. So the first point would be you are to avoid laziness. Avoid laziness, or as the text says here, uh, by example, he who follows Frivolity is devoid of understanding. Frivolous or that which is empty or without weight is a fool. To be without understanding in the language of uh, the Old Testament there in Proverbs and the Hebraic tongue is to be a fool. We read in chapter 6, one of the famous passages on laziness. Chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. 6 through 11, excuse me. I will read part of that here. You don't have to go there. You're going to remember it. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider his ways and be wise. And so this teaches us something here of the method of the Proverbs here of King Solomon. That he uses the lessons of nature to teach the moral lessons of life. It's a common theme in the ancient Near East, what they call the A-N-E, not just Jewish proverbial, all kinds of Syrian, Babylonian, Egyptian 
they would all use these concrete things around them. And that makes sense, doesn't it? We do similar things, although we have kind of silly stories in the Western traditions uh, with Brothers Grimm and all that kind of stuff to kind of teach lessons in a harsh way. And we have talking animals and like, because who are we talking to? Children. And it gets their attention using animals and creation. And the grass of the fields and the trees of the mountains. And so here, in this particular example, uh, Solomon uses the ants, you sluggard, learning from nation, uh, from creation, excuse me, a common events and activities that are needed among us. Animals have a body, and they live in a physical world. And to that extent, they have to do many things that all we have to do as humans, although uh, we, of course, are much greater worth than an ant. They do many things that we do as well. They have children, they eat, they sleep, they work. The ant works. Again, they're good storybooks for children, and they're good for us as well. The Proverbs are for adults. Child lessons are also for adults because we forget these things. We need repetition. Repetition is the mother of learning. You go over the basics through life, and this is one of the things that we do here uh, that God gives us in his word are some of the basic things that are good to repeat, such as this lesson, to avoid laziness, to go to the ants, you sluggard, you lazy person. What's your problem? Even the animals know better. Even the ants, with verse 7, which have no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. While men have leaders, ants apparently do not, at least by observation. And from that point, of course, he directs them to the broader point that even without such an obvious oversight, oversight, overseer, whipping them to work, they're getting them to work. They know they need to get these things before winter comes. And they starve and die. Verse 9, How long will you slumber, O slugger? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler, and your need like an armed man. That's such graphic imagery there. Keep being lazy. It's going to bite you in the butt is what we say today. He draws the moral lesson from the observation that the animal's laziness brings poverty and disaster ultimately. And unfortunately, however, unfortunately, we have so much prosperity today, lazy people can get away with it. Now remember, Proverbs are just that. The general proverbial observations, some of the observations um, are not necessarily moral in the sense of you should do it, but observation in the sense of, well, the poor man doesn't have many friends, but the rich man does. He's not saying that's the way it should be. He's just saying that's the way it is. We need to be real and observant about reality, how things are. So the Proverbs does that. Uh, and the Proverbs also gives, in these descriptions such as this, that laziness brings about uh, destruction, uh, starvation, <laughs> poverty. In general, often, when all things are considered equal, is how we would say. And that's the nature of a proverb, right? An apple a day uh, keeps the doctor away. No one really believes apples every day does that. It's a good, healthy diet when all things are considered equal, if you don't get cancer, if you don't get shot, right? You can't say everything in a proverb. That's not how the proverb works. That's not the literary genre, as we say. God didn't give it to us that way. He gave it to us in this form to get our attention, to wake us up. But I want to remind us, we live in a day and age in which we wish to push back against laziness. It's hard because people don't see the fruits of their laziness often. It's easy to get away with it in America because we are so prosperous, you can literally live off the street. I've seen it. I've dealt with it. I'm not uh, indifferent to uh, people's 
problems of poverty. I grew up relatively poor in many regards. Um, but there they are. They get free food. They get free, free clothing. The Denver Rescue Mission, I was down there. I've told you some stories when I was down there uh, as a young man. And there you have it. They didn't have that back then. You didn't work. You didn't eat. But eventually, laziness catches up with people, even in that case, because it certainly isn't the best of things to live off the streets. You eventually get sick and sicknesses, and other things will happen to you, and it'll be really bad for you, unfortunately. So let's look at the ways in which laziness infects us. Uh, a short list here that's not exhaustive, a few things I brainstormed to look around on uh, for some ideas. The degrees of laziness is one thing to note here. Some um, are very industrious and many in all kinds of things in their life, but they have one weakness somewhere in their life. I don't know what it is. Their family, vacation time, perhaps, in which they're just like, forget it, I'm going to have five, you know, five weeks or six weeks of vacation instead of the typical three or four. Uh, but other than that, they work really hard throughout the year. I mean, that's fine. These are partly judgment calls, but a reminder that, again, the Proverbs speaks in very stark terms, right? Black and white, which is true morally, but in practice, that means that the same proverb deals with one person whose laziness is relatively not as bad as someone else's laziness. There are degrees of sin and there are degrees of laziness, is my point. The first thing we want to have here, I'm going through some of the Proverbs. There's a series of Proverbs here. One thing that laziness does, how it creeps on us, is it makes excuses. A lazy predisposition or a temptation to laziness makes excuses. Proverbs 26.13. The lazy man says, There's a lion in the road. A fierce lion is in the street. I hear that and it's kind of chuckle. It's like, wow. <laughs> Laziness takes any excuse to avoid work is, I think, the best way to understand that proverb. The proverb is seemingly intentionally absurd. Lions brazenly walking around a village street like the villagers and the men and the farmers and the merchants wouldn't get together and kill the lion, right? Get a little posse and take it out. So at first blush, you may think, well, there's a line. Why would it risk it? I don't think this is a bad thing for the lazy man. The lazy man's obviously doesn't have, he's got it right. You don't want to be on the street and get killed by a lion. No, because it's a proverb and because it says it's a lazy man, you know it's an excuse, right? There's something else going on here than just there's a real lion out there, but rather there could be a lion out there. I don't know. I'm really concerned. I'm really worried. And I'm really lazy. That's why it's called a lazy man. <laughs> it's a proverb. So the word lazy is our clue. So it's excuse-making. Sometimes it seems most reasonable. Uh, there may be a line I could get eaten and devoured, but we know it's not reasonable. No lions today. I suppose we'd say bears in my neighborhood or foxes. Can't go out to work, sorry. Call up your boss. There's a bear out there somewhere, I'm sure, roaming the streets. Why don't you go check? I don't want to put my head out there. You might swipe it off. You see how the little excuses build up and kind of always have some way of deflecting your responsibility or their responsibility, excuse-making. Uh, other times, the excuses are, of course, very absurd. <laughs> the dog ate my homework. <laughs> we always heard that one. Again. Uh, I looked up a list of excuses. I, I, I read through them. I'm like, I want to pick one that's, that seems like someone actually said it. They always seem so ridiculous. But apparently they were, they were reported to their bosses. Uh, one of the ones I picked was, my fish was unwell and I can't make it to work. My gerbil's not doing well. I, gotta go, I can't make it to work. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, anything. Any excuse to not leave the house and get to work. Right, there's a lion in the street. Lack of initiative, Proverbs 26, 14. Proverbs 26, 14. Now these, I think, get continuously humorous in the Proverbs here. As a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. It just keeps rotating back and forth. <laughs> the door keeps opening and shutting. You keep rotating left and right on the bed. A funny picture, indeed, of laziness. One of the signs or one of the temptations of laziness and not to get out of bed is the classic one. A stereotype is the word we would use. Although, of course, it's not just simply out of bed, maybe out of your house to get to work, as the case is. It's easier for lethargic people to toss and turn in bed than to get up and do what they're called to do. Not just work like get out of the house and go to your job. Taking care of the house, taking care of your kids, taking care of your family, taking care of your car or whatever you were called to do. Whatever responsibility you have, laziness says, I don't want to do that responsibility right now. When you are called to do it right now. Because you're not called to always do your responsibility every time in life. You've got other things you've got to do. Other responsibilities you have to prioritize, yes. But when you are supposed to do it and you don't do it, you're already starting to make excuses. You're already down the slippery slope of laziness. They're called to go out and work, but they won't. They will not take the minimal effort to initiate work, to get out of bed. That's why I use the imagery of uh, the language of initiative. They won't even get out of bed. That's the first step you need to get to work, to get out of bed, <laughs> take care of yourself, get some food, get in the car, uh, get in the yard, or whatever else you need to do. Each step is needed to finish the job, but they who are lazy, who are inclined to laziness, who are tempted and given circumstances, of course, it happens. Some of us have certain sudden temptations upon us towards laziness. And we keep pushing against it every step of the way of every, everything we need to do to get that job done. Laziness says, no, 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 no. So that's Proverbs 26, 14. Proverbs 26, 15, right, the last verse. The lazy man buries his hand in the bowl. It wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. <laughs> that's the funniest one yet. A lack of completion makes excuses, has a lack of initiative, and a lack of completion. It won't finish the task. It can't even finish eating. They are so lazy. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been that lazy. I've been lazy, but not finish your meal? Ah. It's tragic. Imagine someone so lazy they won't even finish eating. The indolent man starts a needful job but will not finish that job that task, that responsibility. His, thought, his slothfulness is a weight holding him down. He can't even lift his hand up to his mouth to finish his meal. They're often laggards, slow to get things done, not just initiative-wise, but completion-wise. If you're struggling with the initiative, you're going to be very hard to complete the job. It's one thing not to be able to complete the job well because you're not well-trained or you messed up or you made a mistake. It's another thing not to complete it at all because you just don't want to get it done. You'd rather not be there. Sometimes we have moments of lapse when we just lose all motivation to be sure, or we're physically or emotionally tired. We're human after all. We have our limitations. And you have to get something done. That's not the same thing as a life of laziness. That's what this picture is. That's why I mentioned at the beginning there's degrees of laziness. There's also a lifestyle of laziness, of slothfulness, of lackadaisical attitudes, of indifference to work. 
It's different than a momentary lapse or the struggle you have because of physical or other problems uh, going on, to be sure. We have to be careful about that. Uh, those who have a shiftless life is what we use, who bounce from job to job sometimes is one uh, example of that. Never doing a good job, perhaps, is a sign of that, but not always. And so those are the ways in which uh, laziness has come upon us, in which we justify our laziness, characteristics of laziness at times in our life that we are called to eschew, to flee from. The, because, as we read here, he who follows frivolity or a life of emptiness, which indeed laziness follows. It's an empty existence not working. You are incomplete because we are called to work even if it's a job that has no money involved. <laughs> you don't get paid for it. You take care of your family. That's work. Take care of your house. That's work. You help the church. That's work. So I'm not saying you have to get paid, obviously. So the second point is you are to embrace work. God calls us in a life of holiness to eschew uh, laziness. Uh, and then, of course, in laziness, I didn't cover that. I'll cover that here, I think. Uh, vacation, retirement, and everything else isn't necessarily laziness, obviously. We're called to embrace work, especially in the prime of our life. As you get older, of course, it's harder to work. It's just how God uh, brought about the punishment of the fall upon us because of sin. As we get older, it becomes harder and harder to do serious jobs, to focus on the job even. Not just the physical labor. Your mind is just starts getting tired and thinking and paying attention. And that's understandable. But to the extent that we are called and can and they are able to, uh, to embrace work, we are called to do work. He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread. He who works. Obviously, tilling the land is a picture of working. It's a metaphor for work, particularly a concrete act representing broad, all kinds of activities. It's not saying only the farmers do the real work and no one else does. Only the guy who eats apples is going to be healthy and no one else does. What about broccoli? No, it's, again, a proverb using concrete illustrations to make a broader point. The priests weren't farmers, but they also worked and had to be fed of the sacrifices. It's a Hebraic way of speaking. Obviously, there are other working professions, I said, the priests, for starters, and merchants. Satisfaction with bread, therefore, is a picture of being happy with the results of the fruit of your labor. You worked hard, something came out of your work. That's a good thing. You like that. My daughter did that uh, when she was in um, 4-H, and she was crocheting. I always say knitting. They want to throw a knitting needle at me because it's crocheting. Apparently, that's one hook, right? Okay, one hook. And she made a purse. Was it the purse? No, it was the owl. It was the owl. Purse? Okay, sorry. Purse. And, you know, it's hard work, and she did it, and she persevered, and she was really happy she got it done at the end because we won state. <laughs> we went to the state, down to Pueblo, the state fair, uh, and competed with all the other people from the states, and they won their divisions, and they worked their way up, and she, for her age group, she got first place. It was great. That's the fruit of her labor. She was satisfied with the bread or the fruit of her labor. Obviously, she didn't eat it or sell it for food, although she could have, I suppose. That's the idea here, satisfaction with bread, happy with the results of our labor. We talk about labor of love. This is labor of love, so I'm really committed to this job or responsibility in life. Uh, but even if we don't have a labor of love, we still have a job. And it's good to get it done and get it done well, of course. Have the satisfaction of putting food on the table, of making money so you can help your family, help your church, help your friends. And not just the basic uh, necessities of life, of sustenance and the like, uh, but 
all kinds of things beyond that that we are called to do. I mean, taking care of your house and your yard and your car isn't bringing food on the table per se, but it's a satisfying job when you have a nice yard work, although it's, of course, harder with the water restrictions these days. The other half, of, of course, I mentioned before, following frivolity is devoid of understanding, and I told you that word means empty or vain, and it's t- attached to the, a life of laziness. By contrast, of course, right, often in the Proverbs you have a contrast, this but not that, and this is clearly here, tilling, working the land, but he who follows frivolity obviously is not tilling, he's not working, he's a lazy man, he has an empty life, not the satisfaction of a job well done. We see it with those playing games, going skiing, vacationing, and the like. Um, We think of it, I think, stereotypically, although I've not run across a lot of them, because I don't know a lot of rich people with the rich kids who have all that prosperity and ignorance get away with these things. We know what happens. We saw it in the news. They need to go hard work, hard labor, uh, something so that they're busy with their hands. The means of work, as I'll finish the sermon here on the second point, You are to embrace work. This is the call of a holy life that God calls his people. It's not devoid of Christianity here. Jesus Christ had a mission and a job. He had labor in his life. He worked as a carpenter's son, which means he was with his father learning the trade, which is not like how we do it today. He worked. And then his job as a preacher or a rabbi is work. And he is our divine exemplar. We are called to imitate Christ in our life of holiness. Yes, he redeemed us from sin. Yes, he redeemed us from the works of the law. That's the moral works of saying how good we are, how much we can obey God's Ten Commandments and get to heaven. He says, you cannot, but I have, and I can, and you will get to heaven because of my obedience, because of my labors, because of my work. But here, we're not talking about that kind of work or labor. I'm purposely equivocating and playing off that word work. Not morally, but in terms of our duties and responsibilities before God, it is a labor, a labor to take care of your family, to work hard with your hands or your mind, and both, of course, as you are able, so that we can serve God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The means of work, Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. That proverb reminds us planning, coordination, and intelligent involvement of your job, of your labor, of your responsibilities in life is required. We do this without thinking. First we sleep, then we get up and we get ready and dressed, and then we eat. That's an order. There's a plan. Even if you haven't written down that plan in your calendar, you have a plan and a rhythm in life. It's how it's designed when you live in society. You have to do it. You've got to sleep. And if you've got a job... It's preached on not being lazy and not having a job, if you're an adult. Then you got that job already making a schedule in your life. We are called, with respect to responsibility in the life of holiness, to have coordination, an intelligent way of dealing with life, of having a plan of diligence so we can lead to plenty. We pray by God's grace and mercy. Of course, use of a calendar, a checklist is helpful to be better organized 
If that works for you, I'm not telling you the best methods, but you use, as we talked about before, and over and over again, the means, causes, occasions, and provocations thereunto to fulfill the commandment of laboring and working as you were called to do. And one of those means is being a planner of some degree. What that plan looks like in your life as a Christian, I can't tell you. I can give you some recommendations. You have a lot of flex room there. Sometimes you can keep it in your head. I used to keep everything on the calendar in my head for a long, long time, and then I said, I better stop this. I'm going to get in trouble. So now I use a calendar. Uh, as a reminder, often organized people get actually more work done because they can tell people, I can't do it here, i got to get this done, uh, but I can do it here, as opposed to always someone else dictating your schedule, as a reminder. Blessings of work, simplicity of work. Ecclesiastes 2.24 has proverbial sayings in it as well. That's why I go to Ecclesiastes sometimes. You'll see it mixed with the Proverbs uh, and uh, books and commentaries. Nothing is better for a man than he should eat and drink and that he should and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also, I say, was from the hand of God. Work is what we are called to do, to eat and drink, that is to have the labor of our work, the fruits of our labor. He should enjoy the good in his labor, as it says there in Ecclesiastes 2. It's a good thing. It's from the hand of God. It is a good thing. And we ought to embrace it. Everyone has a call, as I've said before, to work to enjoy the labor of their hands. And in that sense, we're all equal in our callings. And thus, also, Ecclesiastes tells us not only the goodness and the blessings of work, uh, but it is from God himself that we have eat and drink, and even beyond that, extra things. And I preached on that as well, that we can even celebrate with one another the goodness of God. And then the hand of the diligence will rule, but the lazy man will be put to force labor. So there's another proverb reminding us of the importance of work, of diligent work, of being hard in our efforts to do good things for one another. The lazy man, on the flip side, he'll be put into forced labor. Someone's going to make him work one way or the other. At least in the old days, they would have put him to forced labor. We don't have that anymore. I think they stopped it in the 60s or 70s when they would tie him up to chain gangs and put him to work somehow to make him productive members of society. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have that anymore. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine is another text on labor. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings, and he will now stand before unknown men. There's a blessing in labors. Again, when all things are equal in a society that takes labor seriously, those who work hard and work well and honestly and do a good job uh, will have blessings, and they will have good connections. They will have prosperity more and more. Reminder, the blessings, the promises of the Proverbs, the physical promises, the material promises, are temporary often. It's not always across the board. Again, sin is there, unequal in every society. As a leaven, that cuts down the cause and effect of the righteous and people trying to do good labor and a good conscience before God. They get cut down in the prime. They get thrown out of their jobs. As we know, Christians that were shut down, their whole business is shut down because they won't give money, a cake, or a photograph. Uh, to wicked events and marriages. They did good things. They were working hard. They weren't blessed. Well, they are blessed. We know the blessing they have in Christ Jesus. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We are told in 1 Corinthians 15.58. Your labors are not in vain, even though it looks like you're not getting any of the promises of the Proverbs. You will get it ultimately in heaven. A thousandfold, brothers and sisters, even if you do not see it here and now. It is not empty. What is empty 
is laboring for this world and only this world and not for the Lord Jesus Christ, not submitting to him in a life of repentance and faith, that is an empty, that is a vain, that is a slothful, lazy, laggardly life that will lead you to ruin forever and ever. Because it is hard labor. Christ talks about what? Carrying your cross. Walking the path of righteousness. It is hard labor. But it's not impossible because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. But those who don't want it, with respect to God's kingdom, they don't want to storm God's kingdom. They're the lazy ones, ultimately. Lazy spiritually. Indifferent to God's holy calling. Lackadaisical to the gospel and the call of repentance. Yes, brothers and sisters, we are called to a life of labor. To the extent that we can, to the extent that our body is able, to the extent of our abilities, to our circumstances, all this is true. I can't go into all those details, but in general, avoid laziness. Embrace labor and to know that your labors are not in vain in our Lord and Savior. And his time will reward us in heaven by his grace. Amen. Let us pray. And so, Lord God Almighty, we're thankful that we are called to flee laziness and to embrace a good work of kingdom building, wherever we are called in life. May we do thus, Lord, to be more like Christ, who, was, who himself was not idle, but always worked for his people. And for your sake, namesake we pray. Amen. Let us stand and let us sing hymn 535, 535.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.